and thanks everybody for being here. And um, my thought is people, as you guys are coming in, is suckers because of what we're talking about today. But um, we're going to talk about the Song of Solomon. Welcome. The Song of Solomon. <laughs> and, I love the um, illustrated edition, though. It was great. <laughs> and we are going to, so uh, I am going to divide you into groups to discuss parts of the song of songs. So uh, that's what we're going to do today. It's going to be fun, and I'm looking forward to our discussion. And we talked last week, we talked a lot about the Song of Solomon and some things about it. And one of the things, one of the takeaways I had from that was that uh, it's an important book for the church. Uh, it's important for us to deal with what's in the Song of Songs. And I'd rather us not just talk about that in the abstract, but to actually talk about what's in there. So what we're going to do here at the beginning is, so there's eight chapters. I'm going to skip chapter three. There's just not as much fun stuff in chapter three, I don't feel like. Uh, but I'm going to divide. So we're going to have seven groups. Uh, we're going to take a chapter each. And I'm going to let you, give you some time just to to skim through it on your phone or Bible, whatever you have. Chapter 7. So hopefully you have, if you have one you want to choose, we'll do that. Um, give you some time to scan through it yourself. Pick out a few verses you would like to discuss with your group. And then as a group, just think about, here are some verses I think that are in either in the... I'll take funny, I'll take a thoughtful, I'll take whatever we can get um, on this. And that way we'll just kind of get a feel as we go around later and, and bring together all this, what is actually in the Song of Songs. And then I would like for us to just talk a little bit about what the church can learn from that and what we learn about love and all that kind of thing. Okay, so this is going to be fun, um, I, I hope. Um, and, and even if you have some thoughts about awkwardness of discussing this with people that you randomly come to Sunday school class with, it would be fun too. Okay, so that's the plan. So um, let's have, let's see. Um, so let's have Michael and the people behind you. Just uh, the row, maybe chapter one. And then. Okay, let's have that whole group. You guys do chapter one. Um, you, these two rows, chapter two. These two rows, chapter four. We're skipping chapter three. The back row, you guys do five. You guys do chapter six. You want chapter seven. <laughs> and you two people... Do chapter 8. Okay? Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> chapter 8. There, there might be some others that join you in a minute. Does everybody know your assigned chapter? If you don't like your assignment, do a different one. Alright. Um, well, I'm looking forward to our discussion here and seeing what verses you guys want to talk about. Um, Alright, so uh, let's start with chapter 1. I guess I'm speaking. Okay, good. <laughs> Where's 
kind of struggling with the grand concept of whether it's purely allegorical or if it's allowed to be kind of literal. And I was sharing that I had studied Song of Songs uh, last semester because I go to Harding, so okay. I was in Old Testament Bible class. Yeah. And that was kind of our whole take on it was having to decide for ourselves if we thought it was okay for it to be a physical kind of poem purely just between a man and a woman or if it's representative of like Christ and the church and yeah. God's love for us. So. And what did you decide? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think in the reading of it the last couple weeks, I just said there's, there doesn't seem to be any allegorical it just seems to be poetry, right? But my my counter to that was how did it make how does it become canonized and the people of the day didn't breed more into it than just a handful of poems. Yeah. yeah. Trying to sell books. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, who was your teacher at, at Harding on the song? Daniel Odin. Oh, okay, yeah, I went to school with him. Okay. <laughs> 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 at least it was in at least it's the same that you taught him. <laughs> Danny. <laughs> um, I called him Professor Odious. Um, did did he characterize what he thought, or did he just, as a good teacher, let you guys decide? He actually gave us a really nice article that kind of broke it down and talked about how in ancient Israel they basically rejected any of the like purely sexual physical aspect of it and acted like it was really just an allegory and that's I think how it got canonized. Yeah. But the conclusion of that article is that it's more of a celebration of a male and female relationship. Yeah. Yeah, what I and we can keep this this will probably keep coming up as we go around, but um, I don't think it has to be an either or. Mm -hmm. I think we get a both end on this. And it needs to be just one. <laughs> what did you say? Chapter 7 needs to be. Just okay, we'll get to chapter 7. Just allegorical or just. I don't know. Let's talk about it. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my takeaway this time of going through it is I think, unfortunate, I think it's unfortunate that the church in, in Israel couldn't read it as literal. And I think there's a lot of cultural things that made that, that reading. And especially with the early church fathers, you have a lot of monks or priests who were unmarried, single celibates. Of course they're not going to read this. <laughs> you know, they're going to have another meaning here. So the chances that they would get it right are, are not great. Um, and I think that we're in a moment in, in our own culture where we can read it literally and be and say that's a, we actually need this in the Bible. It's good that it's in the Bible, and it also can, you know, we have to restrain our culture maybe more on the issue of sex. But, yeah. Okay. Anything else from chapter one you want to put out there for us all to, to know? Okay. Let's go to chapter two. Where was chapter two? What do you guys have? Well, chapter two was sweet. It was, well, there was nothing crazy in it. It was it felt very much like the, you know, just romantic love, especially early in the relationship, potentially. Um, uh, I would say one, one verse that we thought was interesting was verse 
16. So she had, okay, so he, early on, he had called her, or she had called herself a lily of the valley, and he referred to her as his lily among thorns. And, um, but then in, in verse 16, she says, my beloved is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies. So we were wondering about that. <laughs> <laughs> Whether that was just... He well, whether that means he is, you know, out with other ladies or um, or not. So that was one verse that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, the fact that it's prefaced with "My beloved is mine, and I am his," that sounds more, you know, one yes. for each one yes. for each other. My beloved is mine. And I am his. And that's maybe she feels secure that he's out there browsing among other <laughs> ladies because he knows she knows that they're yeah. committed to Yeah, her. yeah, okay. I like that idea. <laughs> the um, one, the yeah. one funny thing I thought was that she says sustains me with raisins and refreshes me with apples. That is not a good meal. Like, raisins and apples? Yeah. I mean give me a little bit more. Imagine though if you I mean, I don't know how much sugar they had, so sweet fruit is... I remember in some book I read there, these kids were amazed at strawberries, how sweet they were. And I think of a strawberry as not especially... I mean, it's, I guess it is sweet, but if you don't have sugar, like you don't have candy, I mean, a strawberry would be amazing. You know? So, yeah. Yeah, those and those are aphrodisiacs, I think. I mean, I, I don't know why I think that. Commentary <laughs> <laughs> somewhere. Um, yeah. Isn't okay. yeah? Go ahead. Well, isn't there something about female when it comes to apples? Like, isn't that the flesh of an apple? Isn't that other other places in scripture? Comparing a female to yeah. Maybe not. Steve Miller song keeps going in my head. There, there's a verse oh. called Jesus the Apple that God's eye. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, but this this beloved is mine and I am his. This is why, you know, we talked last time about Solomon's relationship to the song. And I actually, as I keep reading over this book, it seems like, you know, I know a lot of scholars are saying it's not really about Solomon and one of his harem. But it's hard for me to get away from that, just the way that Solomon is mentioned and, and then the tradition associated with him. Um, but, it, you know, it is hard to think of Solomon, what we know about him historically, um, being in that kind of connection with one of, one of his wives. Just, just one. Because can you can you say this about more than one person? I am my beloved. It's mine, and I am his. It seems like a pretty special one-on-one type. Thing. Seems like. Yeah, but the brows among the lilies. We'll have to look into that. Yeah. Okay, let's go to chapter four. What do you guys have to share with us? Um, well, kind of like they said about chapter one. I mean, if you just look at chapter four by itself, it's a pretty standard 
ancient love poem. Even the device of like the physical description starting from the hair and moving down, like that's a standard poetic device. Um, and so, yeah, if it wasn't in the Bible, that would be the end of the story. Like it's, it's not, there's nothing that really departs from ancient poetry. And my Bible is a cultural backgrounds Bible and it has all these like, this is standard in Egyptian poetry. This is a device okay. that the Egyptians use. And so then the question is like, well, we're not just, this isn't a poetry class, it's in the Bible. So why is this love poem in the Bible? And then I guess that takes people to that allegorical question. Yeah. Did you answer that? We did not. We kind of went through a both and, I think. Yeah. yeah. And the men did not speak up. <laughs> <laughs> the men were not quiet in that group. We just listened. <laughs> Wise. All right. Um, yeah, and I want us to think more about, you know, what should the church learn from the fact that this is in the Bible? This love book is in the Bible. Yeah. Okay, well, let's go to, what are we on, five? <laughs> All right. Um, any verses you guys want to point out in particular? Or? My, my group. like there are times when there's like a chorus or, or a group of either, I, may, I think a lot of it is a group of women maybe that she's talking with and they function like a chorus who says things to the couple yeah one thing I, I really liked on the five was I, I think it is it's very physical images yeah. physical life. And it's beautiful, I think. Uh, but it moves at the very end to something that seems more important than the physical in the last verse. It talks about uh, he says, his mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my lover. This is my friend. About our and I, I feel like that has, it's almost a big switch because everything's just been physical. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden there's more to the lover than just the physical. Yeah, mm -hmm. I like that. Really good. The connection is the happy ending. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, friend, the friends part where they're like, how is your beloved better than others? Yeah. 
I mean, this is really disconnected. But you know, in Greece, when they're singing that song, and they're like, "Tell me more, tell me more," you know, it's like they're they're going through the thing, and then the yeah, friend's yeah. like, "Hey, really? Tell me more. Like, how's this? Uh, yeah, yeah. How's this better?" So, Very good. I love that. Very good. Yeah. I'm so glad you quoted musical. <laughs> yeah. That's he didn't say that when we were talking. <laughs> was, that was not our chapter. Yeah, yeah that's really good. The um, there is a role for the, the, the friends to kind of get the discussion going. Yeah. Very good. Those are both very good insights. Um, because it, yeah, it is very physical, but but and there is a physical, and that's where I think it's problematic for the church just to ignore song of songs. And or just allegorize it because I think we're created as physical beings and we have to, if we ignore that part of our ourselves and our experience, we're missing out on a huge part of how God created us. And we're so uncomfortable with it that we just don't ever talk about it in church. And it, it should be celebrated, you know, it shouldn't be um, hidden, it should be celebrated. That reminds me of something C.S. Lewis said, yeah. because I think there was this trend at one point towards neglecting the material mm -hmm. aspect of life, and C.S. Lewis said, God loves matter. He created it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Very good. Okay. Um, chapter 6. Anything in particular stand out? Well, uh, Team 5 pled introversion. <laughs> <laughs> team 6 pleads ignorance because they came in late. <laughs> but even though you told us the assignment, we're going to pretend we didn't know the assignment. <laughs> um, we've got some other folks. I'll just quickly say that um, we also have the I am my lover and my lover is my yep. he browses among the lilies. And that, the, the whole thing, in, I'm thinking of in the context of, we just heard this morning, this is the college class, and we have a daughter who's in college, and so I'm just imagining if she were with us, reading this with my daughter on Father's Day, <laughs> how that would feel for both of us. Fortunately, she had to work today. So, She's not able to be here, but next week, we prepare her maybe for this. Yeah, well, yeah. but just more seriously, I, I guess the idea of authenticity, the idea of, you know, this is the real world. This is, why should the Bible avoid any topic? Yeah. And this is a part of life. Yeah. And especially as we've been talking about the wisdom literature, which is really... Gain, wisdom is gained by observing and by seeing how people live in the world. And if, if you're, it's unwise to ignore this part of ourselves. It seems like we're too immature for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, maybe we are. <laughs> we, we never grow out of it. Yeah, what else from this chapter? I can't get the, the verse out of my mind where it talks about. Um, that your teeth are like a flock of sheep coming up from the washing. Have you ever seen 
a flock of sheep in nature, how dirty and filthy they are, and they get washed. They're not white as snow, so she had some pretty bad teeth. <laughs> He's pretty taken with her teeth. And, and then, uh, you know, Solomon had 300 wives and 700 concubines. Yeah. And he says, 60 queens there may be, 80 concubines, and virgins beyond number. But my dove, my perfect one, is unique. And he talks about she was a daughter, she was an only daughter, and raised with virtue, and just what attracts him to her beyond all those. Yeah. I thought that I think it's a good Yeah. And I love that he loves that her teeth all have their twins. Yeah. <laughs> and she has them all. She has all her teeth. I mean, that's, uh, they're not necessarily bristly white, but they're not black either. So. Each one has his twin. Um, but yeah, there is that, that aspect of love that, you know, it's, uh, somebody's, you, you wonder, you know, you, you see couples sometimes going, I wonder how they, they chose each other, you know, but uh, there's always something about that just draws you together and makes, makes that person different for you. Yeah. All right, um, chapter 7. What do you guys have? Seven, I think, is the most visual and perhaps the most erotic of all of the chapters in the Song of Songs. And I, I will tell you my conclusion. I've got semi-convinced some of my fellow uh, investigators here. <laughs> this is in the Bible because all of the people who came after it including the Pharisees who were reformers. The Pharisees were reformers. They were yeah. like Puritans. <clears throat> and they liked it. And it is a way of, I think it could be interpreted as God saying, I made man a woman in my own image. And it's okay for you to be passionate about each other. That's perfectly fine. That's part of creation. Yeah. Don't don't make it something dirty. Yeah, I, I think I think that that's the thrust of it. Yeah, and I can go ahead, you know, talk about climbing up a palm tree. Yeah, the tears speak for itself. Your belly ends in a bowl of wheat. I got it. I got it. I got it. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. They're doing body shots in chapter 7. It's out of her belly button. There's progression in the book. But I think... She's a nurse. The ultimate message here is it's, you know, the interactions, the loving interactions between man and woman are okay with God. It's all right. Uh, and I think that's the reason that the song continued to be held in the Bible as an important message. Yeah. Is it, is that that's really good. Make sense? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> this is our daughter, so 
Yeah, we get the dynamic here. Uh, <laughs> we're running next week. That's really good. It's really good. Do you find that, kind of on Joe's point, that if this was not in here, and even if like, when it was all looked at as just God and his people in the church, that we would look at sex as just to have kids? Like if that's yeah, if if, yeah. if this was not in here right. and we read scripture, yeah, would we really know that there could be passion, that there could be something like yeah. that? But having this helps us understand that there is something beyond just procreation. Yeah, that it's okay. Yeah, I think we would know it, uh, but would it be accepted that it can be bigger than that? Yeah, that's right. That's good. <laughs> and the fact that all the reformers and churches that existed since the Reformation age. None of them took it out. Yeah, can't take it out. It's that's there. that's you know. They drew it. Yeah. Okay, chapter eight. Well, we discussed it. And I think that we would uh, endorse everything that, uh, Joe just said. Uh, I, I'm speaking for myself. I think I'm speaking for both of us. This is a beautiful love poem. Uh, it's in the Bible to celebrate sexuality. Uh, and it's okay if somebody wants to take it as a, as a metaphor for God and Israel or Jesus in the church, but I don't see it that way. Yeah. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful love poem with uh, lots of imagery. Yeah. And I think we should accept it as that and use that to teach the beauty of sexuality uh, and not uh, promiscuousness, right. but promiscuity, but to teach sexuality. Uh, I think most of you probably know uh, something about our youth ministry, David Rubio, that he does a great job. He taught this book to our teenagers several years ago. I used it as a subject matter. We invited Gil and I in one Sunday. David's not afraid of anything, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think he brought this in to teach our teenagers something about sexuality, not that those desires are wrong, but that they're going to be there. I mean, our teenagers, let's admit, yeah. When we're teenagers and our teenagers, they have those desires. We need to teach them how to use them constructively, responsibly. Responsibly, yes. And I, I think we can teach some of the songs in a way that does that. To teach them something beautiful. And there's some beautiful imagery there. More in some of the earlier chapters than perhaps in chapter 8, uh, which we had. The Jerusalem Bible. I think it does a better job of organizing. It's a, it's a translation, yeah. French from the Hebrew and into English. But uh, and this doesn't she, friends, he, right. and so forth. The uh, Jerusalem Bible doesn't. And of course, this is interpretation, but I think it's pretty clear. But in some cases, it's the woman talking, it's the man talking, they're searching for each other. Uh, or, uh, well, uh, let's see, uh, uh, where it talks about the the, the hair down as a sheep going down the mountain. That's, that's beautiful imagery of the way a man and a woman might uh, love each other and yeah. caress and kiss each other. Um, now, chapter 8, I'm not so sure what to make of some of this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're, uh, you're like a brother to me. Uh, and, uh, Says he wishes you like a. I wish you were my brother. That way we could be more affectionate. And yeah, public. I don't quite understand. I don't so well, yeah, that's, yeah. The, I just think the point is, you know, with, when you're like they're in the stage where they can't be as 
physical and public as they want to be, whereas yeah. if they were related, they could, yeah. Some, of, this way, yeah. Yeah. But some of that is very cultural. You know? yeah. yeah. And but anyway, I just think, I think it's, we decided it's a beautiful love for it. We should take it as that. We should use it to teach that sexuality is okay, promiscuity is not. Yeah. I don't know if it's teaching promiscuity so much, but I think it's teaching that a man and a woman loving each other, caressing, yeah. kissing, great. Yeah. But in the right context, responsibly and carefully. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is, you want to add anything? Yeah, I pretty much nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me make an announcement at this point. Fletcher is the leader of my life group. If any of you want an invitation, I'll take names. <laughs> so one of the things um, that we kind of mentioned a little bit last week, but this Ephesians 5, you know, which talks about some mutual submission um, to each other, and then talks about wives and then husbands, um, and how, you know, the marriage uh, relationship is. Um, but then verse 32 says, this found mystery, I'm talking about Christ and the church. Um, I mean, that's just, uh, nobody really knows exactly what to do with that. Um, but it shows that there's this, that God created us with uh, male and female, and the marriage relationship is uh, a theological, has something to teach us theologically about Christ and the church and about the way things will be. And I can't remember if it was in here or last week or outside of class. Um, we were talking about the idea that, in, that Jesus says in the new heavens and new earth, you know, there will not be marriage because they are asking him about, the Sadducees were asking about, you know, this one guy had seven different wives and, you know, each one died, so he married the next one, the next one, the next one. So whose who's wife, whose who's wife will she be in the next life? And Jesus says, in the next life we're like the angels, we neither marry or given in marriage. Um, so why is it that marriage, there's not marriage? Well, we don't have to procreate anymore. Maybe that's part of it. Um, but also, I was talking to somebody who said, well, you know, to love somebody is you, you're known as you're known. And we're going to all be in that situation with everybody. It's, not, uh, it's kind of like we're being married to everybody. But, you know, but, but in the sense that we don't have to have that one special relationship because everybody will be in that now, I'm saying this as a, this is a new thought to me. I've not really thought about it that long. It could be wrong, but it's, it's something I'm thinking about and processing that. Why is it in the next life there's no more marriage? And what is it, and then if we do take love to be, you know, the, the way God created the universe, and that there's something about the marriage relationship that is symbolic of, of, Christ and the church, and then how we're going to be loved in the next life. Um, everybody will be loved, and we'll all know each other and love each other the way that a husband and wife do now. Does that make sense to you guys? I think it's because we can't, you know, we're just we're just human, and that marriage is this covenant relationship, and it's your most intimate relationship, and. There's no way we could treat others, there's no way that we could treat everyone 
as sacrificially as yeah. we're supposed to treat our spouse. So yeah. like we just can't handle that right. in this life. So I feel like, you know, when it talks about there will be no marriage, it just won't even be necessary because you'll have that intimate relationship of serving others naturally yeah. rather than it being this something you have to cultivate and very good. Yeah. I may be really reaching here. But as someone who was single for a while, giving advice about marriage seems a little off-putting. So that could be what he's saying is this is a profound mystery of almost saying, like, I, I don't fully understand it, mm-hmm. but I can talk about Christ and the church. Like, I can understand that. And so I just wonder if, in this case, the profound mystery is more him trying to give a little bit of caveat of, like, yeah. It's a mystery to me because I'm not married. I think it's also helpful for unmarried people to know that in the next life they're not going to, you know, if you feel like you don't belong, well, you will, you know. And, and that the church, we need to make it less about families and more about we are a spiritual family, all where everybody's accepted and loved the same way. Greg and I were talking about that idea on our walk about the next life last Sunday because of this class. And one of the things I couldn't quite, I still can't quite put my finger on it, but there's something about like the need for exclusivity in our closest relationships that maybe has to do with fallenness a little bit. Because even God is very exclusive and you know, he speaks of himself as a jealous God. He's, he feels competitive with other gods and that won't be needed in the next life. You know, and yeah. same with our our human relationship. There's just something because he was like the exclusivity is what is, makes it special. So it's weird to think we won't have that. But I was like, well, maybe it's somehow linked to the fallenness of this world yeah. that we won't need in the next world. Yeah, I like that idea. And also in the next world, every male female relationship does not have one person who's in charge. Yeah. 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 I, verse 33 reminds me. I, I, after a 30 year record as uh, longest visitor to Otter Creek. I finally joined and went home and told my wife, yeah, they signed me up. And uh, I keep thinking, wives, submit yourselves to your husband. And she said, that verse is not a good place to start. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to have a, that whole passage. Well, there, I know we're out of time. I had some other verses that I wanted to dwell on a little bit, but I love our discussion, the way it went. Uh, To bring it back full circle, there's a verse in Proverbs that we began this class on wisdom literature with Proverbs, but this is one that I've always liked. He says, there are three things that are too amazing for me, four that I do understand, the way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man and a young woman. So, what does that mean exactly? Well, I don't know what it means exactly, but um, there's there's things that are hard to know the reason for, know how it works, or trace it out. Um, I'm thinking, just to me, it means there's some mystery here, um, and that's kind of the wisdom that they have gained from just observing life is that it's very mysterious. Um, and then also, this uh, occurs three times in the Song of Solomon. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Think about what that means. Um, there's a time for this. And I read one commentary that said, you know, especially that 
beginning stage of romantic love where you're so obsessed that's unsustainable, you know, for the rest of your life necessarily to have that amount of um, attention. So maybe there needs to be a sense of timing um, for that kind of love to happen, something like that. I don't know, there's lots of possible meanings for that, but it's interesting that it occurs three times throughout the song. How about this one? Love and passion is all right. Don't try to rush it. You wind up the wrong person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Don't hurry love. <laughs> okay. Um, well, thank you very much for discussing this. Uh, let me uh, note, we will not have class next week. Um, I will be at middle school camp, so pray for me and everybody at the middle school is there, too. Uh, so this will be our last uh, class period on the Wisdom Lit. <clears throat> Thank you very much for your participation. I, I appreciate the community that we have. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so I just appreciate your participation and uh, your discussions. Uh, as we keep reading about the Wisdom Literature and thinking about it, if you have other thoughts, of course, uh, share those with me. And uh, maybe we'll do another class on something. And, We'll keep this community going at some point. But thank you very much. Uh, have a good rest of your Father's Day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.